Welcome back to another episode of The Jacob Johnston Show. On this episode, we're going to continue our discussion of the coronavirus and the media's disgusting behavior regarding it, along with the Democrats' behavior. Now, one thing you need to know about the media is that if it bleeds, it leads, which means they need to attract attention in order to get ad revenue. And there's only two things that really attracts attention, fear and anger. Now, they've been promoting anger for a long time that it's lost its effectiveness. That's why they've been talking about, you know, Russia interference in the election. Make you feel like your election was stolen from you by a foreign country, and that's why we have Trump. And that's also why they go through and they keep demonizing Trump all over the place. But now with the coronavirus, they can promote fear because what is fear over the coronavirus going to do? It's going to have you tuning in to get tips on how to avoid getting sick. And when we take a look at their tips, you realize that they got nothing. They, they just have nothing. You know, for instance, they're saying, wash your hands after every time you use the bathroom. And I'm over here looking at that advice going, you mean you don't already? Well, no wonder, you know, there's such high cost of medical care in the United States. You're not washing your hands. Hey, Bernie, I think we found another way to bring health care costs down. Right. But, you know, in all seriousness, they're just giving useless advice about things that you should be doing every day regardless of whether or not there's an outbreak. And furthermore, they are going through and, you know, the left is joking up, you know, what they're going to do. You know, for instance, you know, you have, for the record, if I do get the coronavirus, I'm attending every MAGA rally I can. And a Democrat congresswoman or councilwoman, sorry, you know, says solidarity. Yeah. Yes, it is fun to talk about the idea of going out there and trying to infect as many people as you can from the opposite political spectrum. Now, they're not taking this serious in any way, shape, or form. So why should we? You know, now, another thing that they are doing here is that they are using the coronavirus and they're using it to, for election politics, not just attacking Trump claiming no matter what he says or does is insufficient while they're promoting policies and ideas that would do absolutely nothing like open borders, you know, which would actually make things worse. But, you know, they're also using this as a platform to push, you know, their agenda that they've been pushing uh, since Bernie Sanders uh, came to prominence, you know, Medicare for all and yada, yada, yada. So uh, I got a clip here of the Democrats uh, talking about this. And it's a long clip. It's about, you know, two minutes long. But I wanted to make sure that you knew I wasn't taking uh, this Democrat out of context so that you can hear fully what it is she is saying. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and good morning. Um, as the chairman said, the House is working to advance a strong uh, emergency funding supplement package that will fully address the scale and seriousness of this public health crisis. Dr. Fauci will also be coming back before the House Appropriations Committee tomorrow to answer our questions about how we can best make sure that Americans are secure and healthy. 
But with an outbreak at our doorstep, it's important to recognize the risk that our nation runs when basic necessities like health care and paid family leave are out of reach for so many American families. Just this week, we will be extending to uh, TSA workers the full protections of being uh, federal employees under Title V. This means they would be eligible for paid family leave. But we already have a notice of veto intent from the White House. This same week, the White House is in court attempting again to dismantle the ACA and advocating for their budget proposal that would severely underfund Medicare and Medicaid. So expanding health care quickly becomes, in a crisis like this, not just the humane and right thing to do, but it becomes a question of national security. And we cannot let this be jeopardized. Um, We must continue our work to ensure that basic affordable care is in reach for families and for workers. And we are very, very glad to have with us today uh, two of our uh, members of Congress who bring tremendous background and their medical expertise to their work every day and who we are relying upon during this time of threat uh, to the health of the American people. Okay, did you hear that? It's a threat to national security And the best way to protect national security is to keep Obamacare and expand Medicaid for all. That's right. That is, you know, the narrative that they are trying to push that, hey, you know, we need these things in order to protect national security. And yet, when we go through and we take a look at how they're attacking Trump and, you know, all the narratives that they're going out, the House you know, is dragging their feet on providing a funding bill. Now, they overfunded, you know, the Ebola outbreak, and Trump is using that money. They overfunded it by a lot, you know, but Trump is using that money. But no, 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 that's not enough. And while they're dragging their feet on providing funding for the coronavirus, they are attacking Trump with ads and, you know, going out there and claiming that, oh, for national security reasons, we need Obamacare and Medicare for all and yada, 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 which is really sickening. But, you know, it's not like this is the first time there's been an outbreak. So I thought I would go through and compare past outbreaks, you know, claims and hysteria to something as simple as regular influenza. Right. You know, something that, you know, we can see whether or not these situations that have been overhyped in the past is worse or not as bad as, you know, regular seasonal influenza. Uh, And I'm using within the United States as comparison. I don't have uh, worldwide, you know, uh, information on all of this. So let's go ahead and take a look. So the, uh, and I'm using the, uh, CDC since the Democrats have come out and, you know, talked about how the CDC is, you know, a great source of information. We should be listening to them. Yada, yada, yada. 
Therefore, I'm going to use a source that they cannot then come out and attack. So uh, the disease burden of influenza within the United States, and this is going back, you know, uh, in 2010, you know, uh, because, you know, getting accurate up to, you know, date status on some of these things is kind of hard. But, you know, going through here, you know, in the 2010, you know, uh, CDC estimates that influenza has resulted between 9 million and 45 million illnesses, uh, between 140,000 to 810,000 hospitalizations, and between 12,000 to 61,000 deaths annually since 2010. So 12,000 to 61,000 deaths annually since 2010. Hmm. Okay, so that is quite a bit, you know, uh, here. So let's go ahead and see how this is uh, stacked up influenza to the past, you know, uh, outbreaks and hysteria over past outbreaks. You know, now when we go through here, uh, but first, uh, talking about, you know, 2010 through 2011 and through, uh, 2018, 19, um, this is the most recent stats on influenza that I can find. You know, for instance, 2016 to 2017, there was 29,000 symptomatic illnesses, 14,000, you know, visits, 500,000 hospitalizations, and 38,000 deaths in the 2016-2017, um, you know, season. And this is influenza within the United States, 38,000 deaths. Okay, so let's take a look at Ebola. Remember that big outbreak? And so we go through and we take a look, um, you know, back in 2016, there was a total of 28,616 cases, 11,310 deaths. And um, then when we get outside of the affected countries of Guinea, Libya, and Syria, Leon, uh, there was 36 additional cases and 15 deaths. So that what? leads us to 11,325 deaths from Ebola. Now, that seemed like it was significantly lower than what we saw on influenza. But we all remember the big hysteria uh, that was going on around there. And yet, even though Obama dragged his feet, the media was praising him as giving great, adequate, and quick response, And even though it took him six months. And yet, Trump took immediate, decisive action, even before the general public became aware of the coronavirus. All right. Now let's take a look at, you know, at some other stats here. And this is Ebola uh, broken down uh, by country. Right. And you can see the stats here in the United States, four laboratory confirmed cases and one total death. OK, so and now this gives, um, you know, uh, quite a bit of a range here between 2014 and 2016. Ebola outbreak. Okay. So what about, um, you know, there's also been swine flu and bird flu. Um, I believe it was, uh, bird flu that was the H1N1 virus. You know, remember that big outbreak and how that was all, uh, being reported? Well, jeepers, you know, let's go through and take a look at the CDC's, you know, uh, information on that. 
And so, what, let's see here. After the peak of illness during the second wave had come and gone in the United States from April 12th, 2009 to April 10th, 2010, CDC estimates there were 60.8 million cases, 274,304 hospitalizations, and 12,469 deaths in the United States. So remember, even when it came to the H1N1 hysteria, that still resulted in less death than influenza, right? So what I'm trying to say here is the media has a tendency to want to go through and overhype everything because if it bleeds, it leads. And the Democrats, well, you know, as Ron Emanuel, uh, always says, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. Never let a crisis escape your ability to politicize it in order to advance a narrative or advance a policy agenda. And when we take a look at the Democrats just giving us, you know, basic advice to wash our hands and to, you know, not go outside maybe as much and, you know, and then tell us that, you know, this is why we need Obamacare. This is why we need to expand Obamacare and go to Medicaid uh, for all. I know they want to say Medicare, but it's actually Medicaid, you know, uh, for all, you know, and they're using this to say, hey, nothing Trump does is ever enough, right? Nothing he does is ever enough. And they, they're going to go through and solve our problems by expanding, you know, uh, socialist programs, single payer health care, and all these things that have turned out to be complete and total disasters in every other country. Because in the end, all they want is more power and more influence. You know, they want more control over your life. And it's really sickening how they go about doing this. Okay, so let's go on here and talk about some other things that are going on in the news, because there's a lot of things uh, that Trump is doing that is racking up success, and it may be because of all of that success that Trump is having that is leading the Democrats to, you know, well, it's driving them crazy, and it may be why they're trying to overplay the coronavirus. All right, so for instance, you know, maybe you've heard about this as reported by the Washington Times. Trump speaks to Taliban leaders saying they agree on no violence in Afghanistan. Uh, President Trump spoke by phone with a top leader of the Taliban Tuesday about a recent uh, peace agreement reached in Afghanistan. Uh, we had a good conversation, Mr. Trump told reporters. We've agreed there's no violence. We don't want violence. Okay, so for those of you who may not uh, be keeping up with everything else uh, that is going on in the news, you know how Trump uh, had campaigned on ending, you know, all these wars. And the media has been going out there trying to claim that Trump is a warmonger. Oh, Trump, all he wants is war and conflict and yada, yada, yada. You know, they, I know I say yada, yada, yada. It's just one of those, you know, habits, just kind of like Trump going, you know, the likes of which you've never seen, you know, but in any ways, 
You know, Trump is ending a war that's been going on since 2001, the, you know, the war in Afghanistan. And we invaded Afghanistan because that's where the Taliban and Al-Qaeda was after the 9-11 uh, attacks on the Twin Towers, uh, Twin Towers in New York. You know, and so we went in there and we've had a hard time pulling out because we've come to this whole nation building, you know, where we've gotten away from the World War II model where we go in, we kick butt, take names. I'm trying to keep this, you know, uh, family friendly as I go through. So I'm not going to be using curse words, but we kick butt, we take names and then we leave, right? We, we completely decimate their military abilities or completely decimate, you know, who it is, uh, that attacked us. And then we get out of there. But now we feel like we got to rebuild the nation, build their economy, rebuild the government, you know, and it's been difficult because it's been, you know, constant hostility, you know, terrorist attacks, you know, IEDs and all of that. And, you know, there's been several attempts at trying to pull out of Afghanistan. And, you know, uh, Obama had tried uh, pulling out of areas. Of course, he just tried to up and leave, you know, um, because he thought, oh, it's stable now. And then it just completely crashed. Well, Trump knows that, you know, we don't want to stay in these wars. But if we just pull out and leave, well, it's all going to collapse and we're going to have to come back in. So what he's doing is he's going off and trying to make peace deals and peace treaties with people that, you know, we may not necessarily like or agree with and, you know, all of that. But at the same time, you know, they are a pretty big power in the area. And so if we can get their buy-in to some type of peace that will leave stability and, you know, yes, they'll have, you know, a say in government, you know, uh, presumably, you know, uh, as well, we can go through, we can withdraw, the place can stay stable and peaceful. You know, it's not really up to us to dictate to the rest of the world what type of government they, you know, need to have. They don't need to be just like us. You know, not everybody is like us. And so sometimes, you know, we have to make deals with people that we don't necessarily like or agree with or think are bad because, you know, without that, you know, deal in place, you know, it's all chaos, death and, you know, endless wars, no, so Trump going through and having such a big impact here, you know, and winning so much, you know, here um, in the States and worldwide, you know, and how successful he's been, you know, economy and how peaceful and stable the world has become after how chaotic and how much it was on fire when Obama left office, you know, it, it, it's really driving the left nuts because they've created this narrative that, you know, Trump is some racist, white supremacist, warmonger, some incompetent dolt, and yet things are going better than they have in well over a decade, right? Uh, you could say things are getting back to as good as they were before the 9-11 attacks, you know, uh, as far as, you know, stability. Now that means that, you know, there might be something lurking around the corner because we've been lulled into a long peacetime, you know, long global stability and, you know, kind of got laxed on national security and 
boom, 9-11 happened. You know, of course, that lax happened under Clinton, and Bush had just, you know, been in office for less than a year when the attacks had taken place, and all the people and all the planning, you know, for the attacks, you know, got into the states under Clinton. You know, Clinton gets a lot of credit for things that he did not actually do. You know, he came in, you know, with a booming economy and, you know, peace, and he left uh, us with a, you know, with an economy going into a recession and terrorists, you know, within the country planning out the attacks. And he just got out of office just before, you know, Bush took over. And Bush was just barely in office for any length of time when it all came crashing down and boom, somehow it's Bush's fault. Okay, so there are other things uh, that are going on, you know, that it has Trump winning. You know, Trump um, has at the Supreme Court a challenge to Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, which has always been a garbage legislation. It has you know, increase the cost of private insurance, which is what it affects. It has increased the cost of our out-of-pocket expenses for going to the doctors and the hospitals and has made health care unaffordable. Now, they've tried to, you know, downplay that or during the Obama administration, they tried to cover it up by increasing welfare, you know, in which, you know, the taxpayers were paying other people's premiums and deductibles, you know, but, you know, all of that was just designed to cover up and hide how bad Obamacare was, you know, and how much it has been destroying people's access to health care. And yet the Democrats want to promote that as, you know, part of national security against the current coronavirus, you know, but in any event, since the individual mandate has now been, you know, reverse eliminated and all of that, it has now called into uh, the rest of the Affordable Care Act into, you know, a, an unconstitutional uh, place and situation. And so we'll be going through and monitoring how that develops through the court, but he is going through and getting that challenged. Now, by the way, you know, just a personal story. Uh, one of my cousins who, you know, yes, I have family members that are Democrats. You know, in fact, I have a sister uh, that is a Democrat, you know, and very big. But anyways, one of my cousins, you know, uh, was talking because she had just done her tax returns. And she was going, man, my tax returns are much bigger than they've ever been. You know, and she's going through there and she looks up and goes, do you think that's because of the Trump tax cuts? And it's like, yeah. I mean, Trump doubled uh, the standard deduction and doubled the uh, child uh, care credit, or the, you know the you know uh, you know the child tax credit. You know, and so yeah, it's bigger. And get this: since you couldn't afford you know the Obamacare before. They eliminated the individual mandate, so you're not being taxed for not being able to afford it. And so as people are going off and seeing the results of Trump's tax cuts and going off and saying, no, it's not just for the rich. I got a bigger check. I, I, I you know, I have my income hasn't changed my you know, I'm not earning any more money. I, I I don't have any additional tax, you know, deductions that I didn't have, you know, uh, a year or two ago. 
you know, I, 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 the only thing that's changed is Trump's tax cuts, and I got a bigger tax return. Now, generally, I think the best tax return is zero, you know, uh, just because what a tax return really is, is it's you overpaying the government. It's you giving the government an interest-free loan, and now they're giving you your overpayment back. It's just, you know, I yes, it's a refund of overpaid money. Now, there are some situations in which people are getting a return who did not put anything in, you know, and it's not their fault. I mean, they're just following the tax code, you know, where they've gone through and they realize that, hey, because of the amount of kids that they have, they can pay nothing in out of their paychecks, keep all that money all year long, you know, pay nothing in, fill out you know, their tax returns, and they still get money back. Now, and now I've seen this before, and I've analyzed the tax returns trying to figure out how this is, and that's because of the child tax credit. That's the money that they're getting back. So they paid nothing in, and they're get, now getting $2,000 back per child. You know, but, you know, it comes to the situation of, can you actually refuse to take it? I mean, is there really a way to not take it? Now, one of the best things that you can do if you paid nothing in and they're still trying to throw money back at you is just go ahead and donate that, you know, to a charity or to some sort of cause or maybe, you know, go ahead and use that to start your own business, you know, and become uh, financially independent, whether that's a full time business or whether that is just a side hustle. Okay, so there's other additional wins that Trump is getting through uh, on the courts here. And, um, you know, when we take a look, uh, another article from the Washington Times, Supreme Court questions legality of Elizabeth Warren's CFPB. You know, uh, the Supreme Court on Tuesday questioned the legality of it, uh, specifically whether uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren's brainchild created during the Obama administration can be led by a single director unaccountable to the president. Okay, so as we go through and we take a look at this, the CFPB is completely unconstitutional. And there are several reasons. One, it creates a fourth branch of government. It creates a, you know, an agency in which, you know, is unaccountable to the legislative branch, unaccountable to the executive branch, and they just run their own thing with their own legislative authority. Now, now this is unconstitutional to have an unaccountable agency with lawmaking authority. You know, and so how the CFPB has operated since it was created under the Obama administration, Obama created or appointed the first, you know, director of the CFPB. And then they went off and they started creating all these regulations, you know, with the, you know, with the same enforcement of law. And they've been in, uh, in, impugning those on, you know, uh, businesses. And, you know, and this is one of the things that has happened that has, you know, caused uh, during the Obama administration for the economy to remain so sluggish and, you know, just completely, you know, um, well, it's why it was the slowest recovery. I mean, let's just be honest about that. He was doing everything he could to keep his boot on the economy to keep it down. And the CFPB was a large part of that. 
And so they were going through and, you know, creating all these laws and regulations and all of that and forcing it on businesses, driving up the cost of doing business. And they claim that is because they are protecting consumers. And it's always amazing how the Democrats can go off and, you know, put in these tyrannical institutions and policies and claim that it's all about protection and helping out the individual consumer. You know, they're completely delusional about that. Or, you know, they are just gaslighting. But in any event, earlier, you know, uh, in the Trump administration, you know, the head of the CFPB had resigned. You know, they retired. And I guess the thought was that, you know, since they have only a certain amount of terms, they were going to try and deny Trump the ability to appoint a new head of the CFPB. And so they were saying, hey, we're kind of our own independent, you know, uh, branch of government. We're going to, I'm going to appoint my own replacement. You know, so not only do they have an agency with lawmaking authority unaccountable to anybody else in uh, government, unaccountable to the president, unaccountable to the legislature, but now they seem to think that they can go ahead and appoint their own replacement. Well, Trump was, you know, stated, no, that's not how this is going to go. You know, and so Trump put in his own person. And then there was a battle, you know, on leadership where the person that the previous director had appointed, you know, was stating that they were the legitimate leader and was trying to issue orders. And while, you know, the person that Trump appointed said, no, I am. And then, you know, the person that, you know, the former director tried to appoint was then escorted from the building. You know, because, yes, Trump has the appointment powers, and according to the Constitution, Trump, you know, is the one that appoints the head of the agencies. Now, of course, they need to be, a lot of them need to be confirmed, you know, by the Senate, you know. And so we go through here and we take a look at this, but now it's being brought up to the Supreme Court saying, hey, the entire way in which this is set up is completely unconstitutional. You know, they do have to be accountable to the executive branch because the legislative branch, you know, the House and the Senate, their only authority is to write laws and do oversight. Everything else, everything else is part of the executive branch led by President Trump. And so Trump needs to be able to have control authority and say over what's going on in each agency and implement his policies because the executive branch is a unitary branch. You know, there's only one leader and he has complete control over the executive branch within the bounds of the Constitution. So it's great that, you know, all of these things are going on. And that, you know, Trump is racking up so much wins and getting rid of and rolling back a lot of the stupid, crazy things that the Democrats have done over the decades, in addition to his success at getting the border wall. Well, the left is trying to diminish Trump's successes in the world, whether that's domestic successes, global successes, or both. And so they're wanting to go off and they're gaslighting with misinformation. And one of the things that is driving the left the most nuts is Trump's environmental record. Not because it's bad, but because it's better than Obama's and better than the other Democrats, you know, leading states or, you know, 
anywhere else. You know, whether it's on the city level, state level, federal level, Trump is doing better than, you know, the Democrats have ever managed to accomplish. And so we take a look here at how the left is trying to spin this. And here's uh, Mother Jones. You know, trying to go, Trump's, Trump's environmental rollbacks are deeply unpopular with swing voters. You know, it goes on to say, it may be hard to tell, but when, uh, but in between uh, jabs at climate science, federal science agencies, and stalwart environmental regulation, President Trump has been trying to position himself as an environmentalist. The president's efforts to green his image go back you know, as far as 2017, when he told business leaders, and I quote, I'm a very big person when it comes to the environment. Do voters agree? New research shows they most certainly do not. And then it goes on to talk about the swing voters and then tries to go off and give misinformation about, you know, Trump's, you know, um, policies that are going through and damaging the environment. Right. But as we take a look at Trump's actual records, it shows that he's actually uh, more green of a president than Obama could ever have hoped to have been. Remember how they talked about how when we pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords, how, man, you know, that was a disaster. We need to be in there. And, you know, it is horrible. This shows that he has no concern for the environment. Well, what happened? While the countries that stayed in the Paris Climate Accords, their greenhouse emissions have gone up, all right? Because the Paris Climate Accords was never about targeting greenhouse gases or, you know, the environment. It was only about trying to put, uh, you know, a boot on the neck of the American economy, You know, and this is why it's so hard to take the left's claims of, you know, climate change and the disaster that is going to be so seriously because none of their solutions, you know, of or none of their claim solutions does anything to address what they claim the problem is, what they claim is causing climate change. You know, and so when we take a look at things like the Paris Climate Accord, you realize that. Only the U.S. would really be bound to anything, and only the U.S. would be obligated to actually take efforts that would crush our economy in order to meet, you know, the, you know, well, it's only designed to crush our economy. That, that's it. Well, every other country is able to continue producing all the greenhouse gases because it doesn't reduce total emissions. All it was doing was reallocating Who's allowed to do the admissions, right? But what happened here? Well, as we go through and we take a look, you know, uh, crickets from green groups as Trump makes U.S. global leader in emissions reductions. That's right. Under President Trump, the United States led the world in reducing carbon dioxide emissions in 2019 but don't expect Greta Thunberg to give him a hug anytime soon. You know, this is uh, pretty great. You know, and so, you know, the U.S. emissions dropped by 2.9% last year. You know, so this is one of those situations where the left has been going out there and trying to say, 
hey, you know, Trump, you know, environmental record is horrible. Trump, you know, he's cre- leading and leading us into a climate catastrophe. And it turns out that Trump has made the United States the only country that is reducing their greenhouse emissions, you know, and that he is, and despite their claims over his policies and environmental rollbacks, is actually improving the environment, doing the things that the left claim they wanted to do or that their policies would accomplish, but it's only Trump's policies that are actually getting us there. Now, now there are some other news uh, that is going on here. And this one has the left freaking out probably more than anything else. You know, according to the Federalist, a Republican donor buys major Twitter stake with plans to oust CEO Jack Dorsey. Now, maybe some of you have heard about this, but basically uh, Paul Singer, uh, which is a billionaire hedge fund manager, has gone through and is buying up stock in Twitter because he believes Twitter is a useful tool. He believes Twitter is the, you know, a means of effective communication and it has helped President Trump so much. But like so much with the tech industry, you know, the leader is such a, you know, Democrat, you know, such a leftist that he's willing to destroy his own creation, his own platform in order to silence and censor and engage in Orwellian, you know, oppression of information, you know, you know, just like Google and just like Facebook, where they try to go through and suppress conservative content, suppress facts and information, and basically, you know, a digital version of book burning, making it impossible to get a hold of actual facts. Meanwhile, they promote leftist narratives, you know, they promote gaslighting, they promote, you know, um, you know, basically just fake news because they're trying to block you from actual knowledge and information. And so with that, you know, the best way to push forth totalitarian authoritarianism, uh, communist socialism, you know, you can't do that with a well-informed public. So if they say that all means of communication right now is being done through the internet, you know, then it's very easy. You just delete, suppress, and block access to the information, just like China does. But instead of having the government do it, it's having tech companies do it. And yet, despite the left's best effort, conservative content keeps rising to the top because it turns out that You know, people can only stand being lied to and living in a fantasy world for so long, you know, because they get tired of reality smacking them around and being surprised by it. So they go through and they check out conservative content and they go, oh, hey, actually, this makes sense. Now, the left is also trying to use their control over the means of communication and over access to information in order to do social engineering and affect the outcome of each and every election into the Democrats' favor, because when the Democrats are in charge, despite their claims of being against the millionaire and the billionaire class, the truth is the Democrats are made up of the millionaire and the billionaire class. You know, it's one of those things where, no, 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 we're on your side, the little people's side. Meanwhile, all their policies are designed to help 
only the millionaires and the billionaires, which is why you see in liberal states, you know, that's where the greatest divide between the haves and the have-nots are. You know, and it's just getting uh, to the situation where, you know, now that there's, you know, some buying uh, the stake into these tech companies to oust their leaders and say, hey, we're just going to allow this uh, platform to run as it should, as a platform, which means neutral, you know, that as long as it's not illegal, it's allowed, right? And there's no tipping the scale in one way or the other. You know, we're just going to let people share their opinion, and the most popular and best opinions are going to be what rises to the top, the opinions that people like. You know, so, I mean, it is great. And people keep talking about, you know, the tech companies go, why don't conservatives, you know, just create their own version of Twitter, you know, our version of Facebook, our YouTube, and so on and so forth. The short answer is we have, but the long answer is the Democrats, you know, Google and Apple more specifically have been able to team up with Facebook and Twitter to keep these platforms down. For instance, there was a Twitter alternative uh, that had emerged. It was called Gab. Now, Gab is still around, but what had happened is it started getting uh, and rising in popularity, and people were downloading the app in the Google Play Store. The problem is they didn't censor the information, at least the problem for the Democrats are. So it was allowing people to actually go off and say, hey, as long as what you're doing is not illegal, you're free to post whatever you want. Well, Google couldn't have that. And so Google and Apple, you know, seem to have teamed up and banned them from their app store, you know, so that you can't discover them when looking through the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. You know, you don't see them, so, you know, keep them out of sight, out of mind. You know, keep them from any general awareness by making sure that you don't see them when you're downloading apps. Well, of course, that means if you can't download their app, you know, from the stores, you don't get automatic updates. So when they do, uh, you know, updates, what had happened? Well, you had to go to their website and download the app. And then when the updates came out, you had to uninstall their app, and then reinstall the new version of their app. Well, of course, this creates pain. Now they just say, hey, just, you know, use, you know, your web browser uh, on your phone to get to us. And then, you know, click on the three dots if you have a Google phone and click add to home screen. That way, there's nothing to ever update. You know, it's just, you know, kind of within a web browser, and it just always stays up to date on its own. But their ability to block that, you know, from the app stores is what keeps, you know, conservatives' attempts at making their own social media platforms, you know, failure after failure. You know, now to get around that, that means we need to make our own phones with our own operating system. But then we need to come up with our own phone carriers, a competitor to Verizon and AT&T and Sprint, you know, and get our own towers, so it's not just create your own social media site, your own tech company. You got to create a series of companies whereby in the end, it could just be easier to just buy up major stake in current tech companies 
and then force them to run themselves in an honest way to actually act like platforms as defined under the, under the Communication Decency Act. Now, this is the best way to go about that. Now, there are other things uh, that can go on, and yeah, but this is, you know, my take, you know, on that situation. The free market will eventually clear this up, and truth and honesty will end up prevailing. Okay, so uh, just got a couple of more stories uh, going on here. I'm kind of brushing up uh, against the clock. I'm trying to keep this within a certain time frame here. But as you know, uh, hardball host Chris Matthews has retired. Now, we say retired. I say he was ousted. You know, so let's go ahead and take a look at Chris Matthews' announcement, and then we'll get into a little bit of an analysis on it. Let me start with my headline tonight. I'm retiring. This is the last hardball on MSNBC. And obviously, this isn't for lack of interest in politics. As you can tell, I've loved every minute of my 20 years as host of Hardball. Every morning I read the papers and I'm gung-ho to get to work. Not many people have had this privilege. I love working with my producers and the discussions we have over how to report the news. And I love having this connection with you, the good people who watch. I've learned who you are, bumping into you on the sidewalk or at waiting at an airport and saying hello. You're like me. I hear it from your kids and grandchildren who say my dad loves you or my grandmother loves you or my husband watched it till the end. Well, after a conversation with MSNBC, I decided tonight will be my last hardball. So let me tell you why. The younger generations out there are ready to take the reins. We see them in politics, in the media, and fighting for their causes. They are improving the workplace. We're talking here about better standards than we grew up with, fair standards. A lot of it has to do with how we talk to each other. Compliments on a woman's appearance that some men, including me, might have once incorrectly thought were okay. We're never okay. Not then and certainly not today. And for making such comments in the past, I'm sorry. Okay, so he's trying to go off and state that, you know, there was these... I guess the narrative is there are sexual allegations against him because he made comments on a woman's appearance. Okay, so apparently, according to the left, and the left is very contradictory uh, about all of this, you know, but complimenting a woman on her appearance can now be unwanted sexual harassment and, you know, um, you know, an inappropriate behavior. It used to be, you know, women loved receiving compliments about their looks. It's why they put on makeup. It's why they get all dressed up. They want to look good, and they want to receive compliments on looking good. It's kind of a self-esteem issue. But with the way the left is going and trying to move the goalpost on this, it's now going to eventually get to the point where, you know, I I hate to say this uh, because I hate the idea that I'm giving the left their next move in the Me Too movement to try and claim that there's some widespread, you know, sexism and sexual discrimination. But it's going to be uh, getting to the point where if you have, you know, scrolled through your Instagram feed and pressed like on a selfie, well, now you're giving an unwanted compliment and that's going to be sexual harassment. You know, now I don't know, you know, the full extent of what he did was, you know, um, whether there was a lot more that went on behind the scenes. And I'm not here to defend him. I'm just going off and saying his ouster, you know, and the timing of it seems very suspicious because he has come out and he has railed against 
Bernie Sanders and socialism. And all of a sudden, boom, he starts getting housed or he starts questioning, hey, you know, in the Me Too movement, you know, there have been a lot some false allegations. Why is it we're supposed to just believe her, you know, um, in a he said, she said, with no evidence, no witnesses, nothing to back it up, and we're supposed to automatically disbelieve the man? You know, especially considering the false and debunked allegations that have, you know, surrounded the Me Too movement. And so as I was going through here and taking a look at why this was so sudden, why this was so abrupt and all of that, I came across this next clip here uh, that I think uh, really goes through and explains. And the first clip that I showed of Hardball was taken from a longer segment of this next clip. But I think this really explains, you know, my point that it wasn't really about sexual harassment. It was he came out against Bernie you know, and against socialism, you know, and, you know, because of that, the left turned on him and started doing this pressure campaign. And then he, the other anchors on the network were too scared to back him up. And so they had to ouster him. So let's uh, take a look here. Long time hardball host Chris Matthews is out. Um, He resigned after both. uh, There were some comments that were many things. There were some problematic comments about Bernie Sanders. I mean, the other thing with with Chris Matthews, as I've seen this, you know, unfold at media organizations before, usually when they when they pull the pin on you is when your colleagues, when the other anchors and the other talent and other people at the network decide that they're done. And so I think that's where part of the comments that he made about, you know, Sanders movement being like the Nazis taking over (laughs) Europe and the other anchors have to sit there at the panel and go like, what is this guy going to say? What do I do with this? Right. How do I handle this? I think that it was both the, you know, mounting allegations against him. The fact that the dam was probably about to break there. They probably had other women who were coming Mm -hmm. forward. And the fact that you've got a guy who looks completely out of touch with where politics is today who really seems like a drift and like he's from another era trying to commentate on 2020 from like 1982 okay first of all that is ageist right you are now going off and railing against someone just because of their age and that is wrong all right now in all seriousness when you take a look at this and we take a look at the overall Me Too movement, how there has been false allegations, and we take a look at how the left, you know, in cancel culture, whereby if people are saying things that they don't like themselves or they don't agree with, they will now attack that person, you know, and, you know, deceptively edit video and audio, attack the advertisers and try to get them booted off of TV because they're not allowed to have anyone on TV that disagrees with the left's position. And so it's interesting that as, you know, Chris Matthews has come out and talked about Bernie Sanders and, you know, did World War II comparisons uh, between Sanders and, you know, uh, started talking about the evils of socialism and all of that, that as he was doing that, all of a sudden there's these mounting allegations of sexual the uh, inappropriate behavior, you know, and then, you know, you got the rest of the people on his network like, okay, we can't do anything. If we try to, you know, talk truth, you know, people are going to come after us too. 
You know, and that's how the left operates. But, you know, as far as it goes, it is kind of funny and nice to see them eating their own, considering that Chris Matthews helped promote the monster and helped grow the monster that eventually took him out. So, so watching them left eat their own is always delicious. Watching people get bitten in the butt by the very monster they created is always good. But, however, when it comes to, you know, uh, sex uh, and sexism and, you know, rape culture and all of that, the left is very confusing on this topic. They give mixed messages. So, for instance, you know, and may- maybe this is just a difference between Europe and the United States. I-, I-, I don't know. But, for instance, over in Europe, they have open borders. And there's been, you know, a large problem of, you know, immigrants from completely different, you know, uh, value systems, you know, coming in and, you know, they're engaging in a lot of rape. Now, there are criminal elements in every culture or society. So it's kind of hard to go off and, you know, determine whether they're just, this is the way they were raised in their own society. And now that they've moved into, you know, a European society, you know, they don't think that they need to adapt and they're just bringing their culture, tradition and values, which is, you know, horrible. Or if it's just the criminal elements that are seeking to leave the country, you know, because they believe that they'll get more leniency for criminal activities over in Europe because they could always just shout Islamophobia if they ever get caught and they try to be punished for their crimes. You know, at this way, at this particular point, I'm, you know, maybe going to think that maybe it's just the criminal elements that are taking advantage of the open border policies. But the left, you know, they're trying to avoid dealing with the issue uh, in an honest way because they don't want to admit that it's happening are in large part from a single community from a single group that the left has determined to be, you know, above reproach, that you can't criticize, that they must be given favorability in society. So instead of actually addressing the problem, what do they do? They create a song and dance. Stop! Don't touch me there! This is my no-no square! What the hell? That's their answer to the increase in rape and um, going on over in Europe. We'll just do a song that, okay, we'll just sing you a song. So if a rapist, you know, comes at you, just sing that little tune and wow, that will, you know, have them go away. I mean, that's as bad as them just saying, all you need to do is put your hand out in a stop sign and that will stop a rapist because they just don't know that you don't want to be raped. I mean, th- that is their idea of a solution. Are you kidding me? And by the way, considering that this is talking about immigrants and all that, don't you think it's a little racially insensitive to think that they will understand that message in English? You know, have you ever thought about coming up with a song and dance in the native tongue of the community creating the crime? You know, maybe the problem isn't that your song and dance just isn't effective uh, enough. You, you just have it in the wrong language, right? But while the left is going off and, you know, creating that as their solution to the increase in rape and violence, 
Well, what else are they doing? Could you be the one to call when I lose control? Okay, that's enough of that. I, I, I'm just using the clean parts uh, of that video. So while they're going off and talking about the problems of rape culture and coming up with these songs and dance to be able to communicate, no, 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 you can't do that. Don't touch me. They're also going off and having little girls sitting in chairs while a tranny goes along and dances for them like they're a bachelor at a bachelor party. Right. And you got to wonder, hey, did that little girl actually consent? Did she know what she was being, con- uh, what she was consenting to? And hey, you know what? They're going off and they're doing all this sexualization of little girls and creating all this sex and slut walks and all of that. And then there's a rise in, uh, rape culture, you know, a rise in, uh, these reported, you know, sexual harassment cases. And they think, okay, now we'll just counter that with a little song and dance. I mean, they're, they're just a little confusing on this and things that was okay, like complimenting a woman saying, Hey, you look nice today. Well, now that looks like it's sexual harassment. And we're only a few years away from them going off and saying, hey, if you clicked like on a selfie uh, that another woman took on Instagram, well, now that's sexual harassment. But it is completely sick and disgusting how the left goes through and creates this culture. you know. And then as the problems amount from that culture, they just try to shift the blame at, you know, to a bunch of other people, basically, you know, white cis males is always their favorite scapegoat, and then come up with, you know, basically an impossible standard that says, okay, if you look at a woman, you know, passing by on the streets, that's wrong. If you don't look at her, that's wrong. If you compliment her, that's wrong. But if you don't compliment her, that's wrong. You know, they're, they're doing this double standard where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And it is sickening how they are taking little girls and sexualizing them and then trying to indoctrinate them into this whole transgender, you know, ideology that, you know, basically ignores science, biology and basic reality and trying to go off and push and create a society of mentally ill people. All right, so that's it uh, for this particular episode. I'd like to thank you so much uh, for your time and attention. Uh, as you go through, if you like uh, this episode, uh, watching on YouTube, uh, go ahead and click on the video playing off to the side. And don't forget to hit subscribe, and I will be back again.